Views expressed by Casters Guild members are only the opinions of that member, and that could change from day to day. Guild members may use mature language, but that in no way means they are mature. Listener discretion is advised. Draw phase. Standby phase. Main phase one. Battle phase. Main phase two. End phase. Put in the right hands, these small pieces of cardstock can mean so much more. And that's the spell we're casting tonight on Casters Guild. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Casters Guild. I am your Guildmaster Rick Perry, and this turn I'll be playing House Shadows. <laughs> and I and I'm your Guildmaster Baron. I'm not hundred percent sure what Guildmaster Rick just said, Kane. <laughs> and joining us uh, again is a returning guild member, and for the first time a new guild member. Feel free to introduce yourselves. Uh hey, how's it going everybody? Uh Swag Kage here, but uh, you can call me Rob. And I am a first-timer, so long-time listener, first-time uh, pr- participant. <laughs> Go. <laughs> and I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> All right, so happy to have you both here because uh, my trading card game knowledge is lacking. I think that's the same for Guildmaster Baron. Maybe not depending on the card game. And to clarify, I was making a Keyforge reference, uh, oh, Baron. Uh, it's, it's, one of the, <laughs> it's one of the only trading card games I actually play. Uh, every oh. turn, you can only play one house from your deck, and your deck is made of three houses. And uh, my favorite house to play is House Shadows. So I went there. So I think how we're going to kick it off tonight is I'm going to ask the question, and we'll start with our guests. So whichever one of you wants to chime in first. How did you start playing trading card games? Rob, I'll let you go first if you want to. Okay, yeah, that's fine. I started playing trading card games the way a lot of kids did. Uh, you know, seeing either Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! on TV, and then seeing uh, the card packs for sale at the store. I mean, like, ooh, 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 mom, dad, uh, gimme, gimme, gimme. And uh, for the longest time, uh, the game that I stuck with was Yu-Gi-Oh! I just found it more fun to play than Pokemon. And I also thought that like my engagement with Pokemon mostly came from playing the games, uh, because like the it was it was a game series first, whereas really the only way like to like engage with Yu-Gi-Oh is either to watch the show or play the card game because it was a show about the trading cards. But anyway, I played it casually for a, a really long time and only really started taking it more seriously when I had like you know uh, the time and the money to put into the game and you know like buying the cards like uh, physically you know building a deck going to events and stuff and for the most part Yu-Gi-Oh is what I uh, what I play but I have dabbled in you know a couple other things like I think a lot of people have played Hearthstone at least once cuz it's free I've messed with MTG a little bit and I know the the basics of uh, Pokemon cuz I've played it with a couple of friends before but most of my card game knowledge is Yu-Gi-Oh related Hey Bo my journey began as a uh, 12-year-old, and I was actually on a church mission trip when I learned how to play Magic the Gathering. <laughs> so uh, the people at, people at church were kind of like, oh, what's, what's up with this game? I saw a couple of guys playing, and of course, I was like, you know, these cards look awesome. I, I want to get in on this. So they taught me how to play. Basically, from there, I was hooked. So I played 
Magic until 2003. So from 1998 to 2003, I put in a solid five years. Spent a lot of my parents' money on Magic <laughs> the Gathering. Uh, so I, I was hook, line, and sinker. We played at school. We played at church stuff. We Literally any chance we had to play, we would play. The the thing that really drew me in at that age was just the art, like the, the graphic art on the cards, which has changed over time. Sometimes it's a little cartoony. Other times it's just badass looking on there. Am I, am I allowed to... I, mean, I can cuss right, Rick. Absolutely. <laughs> but, okay. We are marked as explicit, <laughs> yes. so let it fly. <laughs> awesome. So that's really what drew me in as a kid. And even to this day, that's one thing that draws me to the game is just looking at the pictures because the, the art is so amazing on there. But uh, I actually quit playing from 2003 to 2017. So I'm recently back into the game. It went through a little bit of a lull, but it's continuing to grow and it's stronger than ever right now. That's the the game I have the most experience with is definitely Magic. When I started playing was when Pokemon really started to come on. And everybody at school is like, oh, I'm playing Pokemon. I'm playing Pokemon. I was like, that is a child's game. I am an adult. (laughs) (laughs) I do not play kids' games. I play Magic the Gathering. (laughs) 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 So so I'm sure I really would have enjoyed playing because it's basically the same type of mechanics and everything. But I was just like, I'm I'm all about this until I'm a grown-up. <laughs> I, I will say, having played literal children in Magic the Gathering, that's just not even a good qualifier. <laughs> <laughs> I've played literal children in Magic the Gathering and have been utterly destroyed. Yeah. I don't play kids games. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) So so one thing I've learned since I was a kid, when I was a kid, I literally would build a deck. You know, I I would do like red, green. So basically in Magic, for for people who aren't familiar with it, there are five different land cycles that you can play. And uh, you can add more than one. So what Rick was referring to earlier, you have to play a specific house in Keyforge. But with Magic, you can actually have like a, a swamp and mountain deck. And as a kid... I would just take cards that I thought looked cool. I really wouldn't look at the specific mechanic of the card. I was like, oh, this art is awesome. So I had some really, really terrible decks when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the same <laughs> deal with me like, and Yu-Gi-Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, don't I think that's I how every time. kid started, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you just end up with these horrific hands, right? And, like, your thought wouldn't be like, oh, wow, I built a horrible, inconsistent deck. You'd just be, oh, wow, I got so unlucky. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Man is right. rude. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't be my fault. It can't be all of these 10-10 creatures I have in my deck that take yeah. seven mana to get out. Baron? The question was, when did we get started? So I will say... I was in middle school, and a buddy of mine introduced me to Magic the Gathering, and we went in together on a whole box of Ice Age. We split that up, and it was Ice Age when it first came out. So um, Definitely just dated yourself. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Middle school, Ice Age, when it first came out. You guys can do the math at all. But yeah, we split it up, and we 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 knew what colors we wanted. So I think it was we both chose two colors, and then we split like the last one or some shit like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we split those up and made some decks, and I had no clue what I was doing. No clue. I'm pretty sure, Baron, that Ice Age 
was almost the downfall of Magic the Gathering. So around that era, that that particular set was a disaster. And then I think they followed it up with like Homelands or something. And like they they literally almost ruined one of the greatest card games ever, like right off the bat. Yeah, times <laughs> a good time to start. I was I was never great at the game. I was introduced to blue counter decks real fast. I was also introduced to people who had access to mommy and daddy's money. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I I developed a really sour opinion of collectible card games really early. And that is, if you don't have money, you can't win this game. So yeah, are they fun? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. If you can, you know, afford the game, or you're you're willing to play with casual people and um, you know, stuff like that. So I've had many, many collectible card game experiences since then, then though. But I'll save that for the rest of the yeah. <laughs> I probably started in middle school. Um, I started with Pokemon, and it was when Pokemon was still new. It was when the starter set still came with uh, Machoke or Machamp and Charmeleon. Of course, they didn't give you the Charizard in the starter set because it was like the rarest card in the original base set. But in base set one, you couldn't really pay to win. Like the, the there were so few cards and they were so easy to get. And some of the best decks in the game were pretty cheap at that point. You had like the, the Haymaker deck and the Purple Stall deck. And uh, my local card shop, I, I got pretty good after like my first year. Because my first year, like I, I was just like, I'm... I'm just going to play nothing but water Pokemon all the time. And, and base set one water Pokemon kind of sucked. <laughs> and that, uh, like I, like you guys, I just played the cards I thought looked cool and I didn't have enough energy in my deck and just, I just didn't play it right. A couple years later, I got into Yu-Gi-Oh! And I played that and I mostly switched over because of the pay to win thing that all trading card games fall into. And Pokemon after the first after the second and third set came out, it was very pay to win. Like whoever had the most money had the best deck and therefore won all the time. I switched over to Yu-Gi-Oh! because of the anime and I thought the anime was cool. And I was like, cool, I want to play Dark Magician. And so I did. And then I switched over to a, a quick little burn deck that was just quick and didn't have a single monster above four stars in it. So I could just play it as quickly as possible until once again a couple more sets came out i think i stopped playing Yu-Gi-Oh. i don't know what set it was but it was the one the last set i played was the one where they introduced monsters that could level up so if you beat a monster with a monster then like you could play the next level of that monster on top of it and allow it to level itself up oh yeah yeah i know what you're talking about like the armed dragon and stuff yeah right yeah that's that's the last set i played um i've played magic like I could probably count on one hand the amount of times I've actually played the game of Magic, and most of the time it's been Commander. But most recently I've gotten into Keyforge because Keyforge is a, a game against the pay-to-win mechanic. Like, you literally can't pay-to-win Keyforge. It's impossible. So that that's, was my uh, beginning to current experience in a nutshell. Good story. So what are you guys thinking now? Oh, hold on, no, let me throw one more thing in there. For a very small period of time... Baron owned a game shop and I went to his game shop and he introduced me to something called Dice Masters, which was like a collectible dice game instead of a collectible card game, but you bought like boosters of dice. Yeah, but it's also, really also cards too. Yeah, it did have cards. And uh, I would have gotten really into that if I could have found anybody to play with. Like that, that game fun. was awesome. 
-hmm. and there's a lot of really cool sets based off of a little, lot of really cool things. I've got like a bunch of dice based off of Spider-Man. They've got ones based off of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Dungeons and Dragons, and I think even Yu-Gi-Oh. And they're it's a super cool game, but I didn't really get too far into it just because once his game shop was in Ohio, and once I got back to Tennessee, I didn't find anybody playing it. So it was just like, oh, I guess it's just me. <laughs> That's sometimes how it happens too. Mm-hmm. So what's everybody playing now? Uh, still Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> How's so, the game changed? Man, modern Yu-Gi-Oh <laughs> is so crazy. The best way I could like describe it by like because so like there's like a lot of like similarities between like most collectible card games, right? Like Pokemon to Magic to Hearthstone to like even like the Dragon Ball Super card game. You know, there's like kind of like a language they like all use there's like a, a general like feel that they all have in like a tempo that i think that that the game designers want to make sure isn't like like they they, they want to make sure each game feels about like the same speed but like Yu-Gi-Oh is like like if you say those games are like like street fighter mortal Kombat, or um like king of fighters Yu-Gi-Oh is is like marvel versus capcom in comparison it is so fast, so ridiculous, and so crazy. And, you know, when you sit down and play it with your friends casually, you're like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And then, like, you see some people who are, like, really good at the game sit down and play, and you're like, what is going on? Like, is the, was this game, like, like play-tested, like, ever? And, like, you find out, yeah, it's working exactly how it's intended. And, I mean, like, I think a fair amount of people know Yu-Gi-Oh for, like, the big, like, modern Yu-Gi-Oh, I should say, for, like, the big, like, like 20-minute long combos that you can do. And, I mean, that <laughs> stuff is definitely, like, a little bit obnoxious, but it's it's not, like, all over the place. It's definitely not as, um like, omnipresent as I think some people would lead you to believe. That's, like, the all... meme of Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Is, like, yeah, the meme yeah. is Yu-Gi-Oh is just sitting down and watching the other person take their turn. But uh, the deck that I play and I'm currently looking at for my um my like last 15 games on uh, online rank ladder, I have like a 100% win rate. Uh, like I think I last won my last 15 games all back to back. And uh, my deck is uh, summon a monster, uh, slap a guy, at cards and pass. So um, it's definitely like you can play control decks instead of combo decks and get away with it and do like perfectly fine. But, you know, when you get somebody who like sits down and summons like 300 monsters in a turn, it's like uh, it's not, they, they, they did actually make a card uh, specifically to address that, though, called uh, Nibiru the Primal Being. It's a card that you can activate during either player's turn. So even if you go second you can activate it before you draw your first card. If your opponent summons five or more monsters uh, on their turn, uh, you can distribute their whole field and give them a token with the same amount of attack as like all of their monsters that you distributed combined. So they just sit on a big token, uh, but with no effect. So it's usually really easy to get, in, uh, get rid of it. So, you know, it's not as like combo swarmed as it once was, but man, like for a while, like 2018, there were, uh, I don't know if you guys know what FTKs are, like first turn kills where they like kill you or like win before you even get to play. Uh, but there were like four FTKs that were like consistent in 2018. That sucked. It was awful. But like aside from that, Yu-Gi-Oh has been fun. It's just like, you definitely have to know 
what you're getting yourself into. And it takes a lot of work because the skill curve is super like weird and you know hard to adapt to. Now, Bo, you're mostly playing magic now, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty much just strictly magic. So obviously with the pandemic, there's not a lot of card shops open to, to play, you know, people head to head. Uh, so paper magic is, is still a thing. The secondary market's running wild as ever for a little piece of cardboard to cost that much money is kind of insane. Yeah. But um, <laughs> the Magic the Gathering Arena has actually released. So I, I know you had tried downloading it on mobile, Rick. Uh, I've been playing on an iPad, and it, it's a it's really smooth on there. So anybody, that, if you're wanting to get familiar with the game, uh, kind of walks you through the tutorial. If you've never played before, it kind of forces you to go through it when you first download it and play some matches on there. But uh, basically, they just pay you up against random people, and you can play all day. If somebody's got an awesome deck, kind of like uh, what Rob was talking about, you you may lose in two minutes, uh, or you could have a game drawn out over 35 minutes in there. So. <laughs> So how's it changed from when, like, the time you uh, you stopped to, like, the current? Like, is, oh, is the meta yeah. of the game all that different? Absolutely. And so they literally have to ban cards left and right as soon as a new set comes out. So I, I guess they don't have enough time to, to do a lot of play testing or something because to figure out the meta on there is crazy. Like, there's some creatures that are so OP that they have to immediately pull them from the game because if, you, if you're able to get that card out, you aren't going to lose. There there was one, it was called Oko Thief of Crowns, and it was just the most ridiculous card ever. They, they pulled it immediately, but that's one thing they're good about. You know, once once they realize something's broken, they'll, they'll pull it straight out of the game. And everybody that's invested all their money into it is just sitting with a card they can't play with. <laughs> yep. Baron, are you playing anything now as far as trading card games goes? I have two commander decks sitting on my shelf. <laughs> that I've played once. Um, but I have them in case I have friends that would just like to play a game. And I'm like, well, if you want someone to beat, I've got some cards right here. <laughs> um, past that, you know, like Bo brought up, you know, the pandemic it's kind of makes it hard for, you know, sitting down and playing paper cards. And uh, I had a buddy that tried to get me into Arena, and I, 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 I didn't... But the pandemic was rough, okay? Still is. <laughs> I don't know if I have the spoon to jump onto a site to get my shit kicked in by 12-year-olds right now. I just, I don't have <laughs> yeah. to, to do that right now. I can't do that to myself right now. Um, it's kind of like her stone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, huh? It's, it's so much easier for kids nowadays, though, because... On Magic Arena, you can literally copy and paste a deck in there. They don't have to do research. They don't have to figure out specific mechanics. Somebody's already done it for them. So all they have to do is copy and paste it. When I was a kid, I didn't have a clue what was going on. I, I got a booster box for my birthday of Mercadian Mask one year. And I literally pulled the best card from the set at that time when it came out. And it was uh, a land card called Ridge Shadon Port. And I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? I was like, this is the dumbest card ever. <laughs> and I sold it on eBay when I was a kid for like $15. <laughs> oh, my God. And I was like, why are people paying $15 for this useless card? <laughs> Just because it wasn't a creature. I was like, you know, if it's not like an instant spell that's going to do like three damage like a lightning bolt, like, I don't want it. <laughs> right. it's not a creature. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yep, I was there. 
I think that's not just Magic Arena, though. I mean, like, it's one of the reasons I've had such a hard time with trading card games in general. And, uh, Baron, you've brought this up more than once. Of people, like, go into, like, tournament lists. Like, they wait until somebody wins a tournament. They go and look at that person's deck list. And then they go and buy that deck. Like, yep. if they have net decking. That's what Yu-Gi-Oh! players call it. I don't know if it's called net decking in other games. but it, 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 Yeah, it's net decking Magic, too. All right, yeah. It's just um, yeah. play, man, all day long. Yeah. Like, if you want to be awesome, you got to have the coin. <laughs> that is one reason I do like the commander format for Magic, because it's, like, 100 cards. None of them can be repeated, I think, as part of the rules. Pretty much every card's fair game. And people can't, even if they bought, like, the best cards in the game, you got 100 cards, you can't repeat the card. Right. There's a chance yeah. you'll ne- there's a pretty chance you'll never get that card. You know, you got to just play eight different strategies in your hundred card deck in order to have any kind of chance. And it's, it's pretty, pretty cool format. And then also why I got into Keyforge because like I was saying, it's literally impossible to pay to win because the way Keyforge works, you don't buy booster packs for Keyforge. You don't buy extra cards for Keyforge. You go out you buy a deck and the deck is blind. Like you, you buy your deck blind, like you would buy a booster pack and then you can't change it. The, every deck has a unique back meaning you can't mix the cards from different decks, and that's your deck, and you can't change it. You could buy another deck if you don't like your deck, but you can't go out and look at a deck list and find that deck because it, literally no one else has that deck. You could buy 100 decks until you have a deck that's similar to the one that won the last tournament, but it'll never have the exact deck list of another deck. So I'm not real familiar with Yu-Gi-Oh! So it sounds like Rob can definitely answer this for me. So with Commander, it's it's considered a singleton format. So like Rick said, you can only have one of each card in there. You can't duplicate anything. Do they do stuff like that with Yu-Gi-Oh as well? Man, Yu-Gi-Oh, it's, it's so frustrating because like, so set rotation is like one thing that, you know, it kind of defines a lot of card games, right? Like Magic, Pokemon, they rotate the old sets out so you can't play old cards. But, but that's not the thing with Yu-Gi-Oh. And I think that they know that if set rotation was in Yu-Gi-Oh, the game would kind of die immediately because one of the reasons it's so popular is because of stuff like Blue Eyes, Dark Magician, whatever. So the card pool just always gets bigger. And it's really frustrating then that in a game with like 11,000 cards, there are no alternate formats. There's advanced, traditional, unlimited. Advanced is playing with the current ban list, uh, traditional is you play with the current ban list, except all cards that are banned are now limited, so you can just use uh, one of any card that's banned. And unlimited is just, like, you can play three of everything. Both of those two side formats are horrible because most cards that are banned in the game are banned for a really good reason. There are a lot of, like, super degenerate cards on there, like, like on the, the Forbidden list right now. Like, there are three, I think, that have an effect where, like, you can activate them and your opponent can't activate any effects or summon monsters on their turn. It's, like, really dumb. You don't want to play a format with that. Um, there are other formats that are, like, community-run. Like, uh, the biggest one is Goat Format, which is... 2005 it's like spring to summer of 2005 where uh, the reason it's called goat format is because the most popular card 
was, or the most popular deck, I should say, was a deck called Goat Control, which used a card called Scapegoat. Uh, Joey played this in the anime, which just lets you uh, summon four tokens. And then they would use a card called Metamorphosis, which Metamorphosis lets you tribute one of your monsters and then summon a monster from your fusion deck that's uh, the same level as the monster you tributed. And Thousand Eyes Restrict was this crazy level one monster because all, all the, the scapegoat token for level one was this crazy level one monster that could like suck up other monsters and gain their attack points and get them off the field. All of the other monsters on the field couldn't attack while it was on the field. So it was like, um, goat control is just fun because like it allows you to play a bunch of like old cool cards like Pot of Greed and Graceful Charity that like everybody's familiar with. It's a lot slower than the modern game. Uh, you can get away with playing cards like you know like Jinzo. Uh, you know, like, like I said, like famous stuff from the anime that a lot of people really like. Uh, but again, that's not like officially sanctioned. Uh, Konami doesn't ever host GOAT format events. They, they just host advanced events. They don't even post like a traditional or unlimited format. So you really can't like do stuff like the um, like the commander format that you were talking about, which is super frustrating because uh, I've talked with my friends about all sorts of different formats that, uh, you know, like we've, we've played custom formats and stuff, but we've always had to make them ourselves. Uh, there are no events for stuff like that. And it sucks. Yeah, I remember back when I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh, there was a, uh, a custom format that some friends of mine were playing that just because they were fans of the anime. Yeah. Um, there was like a... Uh, uh, a format where like there were there was a run of the anime where a bunch of the cards had special abilities that weren't written on the cards yeah like uh like the four mass beast or whatever could attack four times or something like that um and, and things like that things that would like make sense based on like the card's name but weren't actually written on the cards and they literally would watch the anime and write down all the extra abilities <laughs> that all these that's awesome had, and they would play that format that would fuck me up yeah. Yeah. Like, you, do you know how pissed I would be if I didn't know what was going on? You're like, <laughs> just making this, stuff up. Yeah, you're coming at this as like a magic player too. Like in my head, I've got magic on the head on the brain. Hearing that, it like turned something viscerally in me. <laughs> no, no. That, that, see, as a Yu-Gi-Oh player, that's also awful for me too because oh, it's a, it I've was an awful the, format. Yeah, I've watched the anime and I've read the whole manga. So Takahashi was, so so just a little bit of trivia uh, in, in case you guys aren't aware. Yu-Gi-Oh! wasn't originally about card games. Takahashi, uh, the, the guy who created it, was just a fan of games in general. And the first few volumes were about Yu-Gi and his friends going around and playing shadow games, but like all different kinds of games, right? Like there's, I, I forget some of the specific ones, but um, you know, they, they, it's like everything from like, you know, like, uh, tabletop RPGs to uh, there was a yo-yo episode. There was yeah. just like a poker episode. There was yeah, like exactly a miniatures game one. There was uh, then they got really stupid with some of the shadow games where it was just the like oh this is basically Russian roulette except it's with food. So we spin a wheel and it's all got different foods on it. But one of the foods is poisoned and you yeah, know yeah. which um, yeah it, exactly wheel is the antidote so in case you accidentally eat the poison you can end up getting the antidote before you die <laughs> yeah it, it was crazy stuff like that right and uh, the, so the thing to know about takahashi is that he was making Yu-Gi-Oh as like a love letter to games in general but he was not a game designer and a lot of the the time uh when he included a game he would 
he would definitely poke fun at the games intentionally. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of aspects of the original, like first appearance of dual monsters uh, in the Yu-Gi-Oh manga that like make fun of like you know magic. I guess the Pokemon TCG wouldn't have been around at this point, but stuff like that, where you know like he pokes fun at like the rarity and you know like the most rare cards being the most powerful uh, because like Kaiba just basically wins because he has Blue Eyes, which is the rarest card in the game and coincidentally the strongest card in the game. But but you late like he didn't want to make it about the cards but when that became the most popular aspect he was like okay yeah i'll take this and run with it and you can see that he was not a game designer when you read or watch the series because there are so many stupid dumb cards that could never ever be printed okay like Yu-Gi-Oh is like i said it's like super fast like like marvel versus capcom right and a lot of the cards have to be designed from a point of weakness not from a point of strength you have to like if you're if you're designing a Yu-Gi-Oh card you have to think to yourself what are all of the different ways that you could use this in a way where it, it would just be not fun to play against what are all the ways you could turn this card into something overpowered or obnoxious and Takahashi uh, did not do that because he has cards like uh, whenever you special summon something from the graveyard, which, by the way, happens a lot. Draw three cards, not once per turn. Or there's just a card that's just both players draw until they have six cards in their hand, which is like so if you if you use all the cards in your hand on your first turn and your opponent hasn't gone yet and you have that, they draw one and you draw six uh, so you've just won like plus infinity in terms of card advantage. Like it's it's so dumb. Uh, <laughs> there are like crazy burn cards. The Egyptian gods specifically are like yeah. You you can never <laughs> print those cards as they were in the anime because like you know like obelisk like gets up to infinity attack. I don't even know how you'd like handle that. Uh, they're completely unaffected by everything. It's just really dumb. Uh, now the series is still fun to watch. But, like, if I actually had to play that version of the game with all those cards, and there's no, like, ban list either <laughs> in the uh, anime. Like, oh, my God. Ugh, that'd be horrible. Which, let me that'd tell you, works great for an anime. It made yes. a great anime manga. Because the whole point, like, if you have a card game based like that, you come up against an opponent, and they literally have an unbeatable strategy. Yeah, exactly. So you have to be, like, anime protagonist about it in order to overcome this wall that has just been put in front of you. Yeah. But like I think in it's a, entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, in an actual game, like when my friends were playing that format, one of the reasons they stopped is because I got my hands on a slice for the sky dragon. <laughs> and so like I would just win. I would just yeah. uh, I would like if I could get Slifer like in my hand, it was like it was over because I'm just gonna I got all these cards that let me draw cards and just I'd have, like, a ridiculous attack power, and, like, it was just like, okay, it's over. Well, like, and the, you know, anime Slifer just, um, I think the the real Slifer has this effect, too, where he just, like, kills anything when it's summoned. He'd, like, yeah. lower cards by 2,000 attack, uh, and if their attack dropped to zero or less because of this, they just instantly died. Yeah. So if he's, like, unaffected by everything and sitting there with, like, 5,000 attack points, what do you do? How do you get him yeah, off the field? Yeah, because you can't use magic cards on him, you can't use trap cards on him, you can't... So, like, the only way to beat him is with a stronger monster, and yeah, there so, are so, and if he's, so And if he's sitting there with, like, 5,000 attack or more, you have to summon a monster with 7,000 attack points or more. Like, what, what... Yeah, what do you do? 
Which doesn't Rick's exist, going, yeah. No. Rick, mm-hmm. you just got uninvited from Yu-Gi-Oh! game night, is what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> but they were just right. like, Rick's being a huge dick, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, it was one card in a 40-card deck, and I still had to draw it. Yeah. <laughs> but... And some of the some of the other abilities are just as crazy. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think we went back to playing normal Yu-Gi-Oh a little while after. <laughs> like this sucks. <laughs> no, they will adapt a lot of cards from the anime, but like knowing that they have to change them so that they're not as overpowered. Mm-hmm. One of the best examples to give you an idea of how crazy good being able to draw cards in Yu-Gi-Oh is is um, Card of Demise was a card in the anime that let you draw until you had five cards in your hand. And then the fifth turn after you activated it, you discarded your whole hand. Just as an FYI, if you ever resolve an effect that lets you draw five cards in Yu-Gi-Oh, you are not going to get to that fifth turn afterwards. You're probably going to win uh, the next turn. And if you don't, it's because your opponent is playing a really crazy deck and they're probably going to kill you within you know, the next few turns, right? But that's a card that they never could have printed as it was. Uh, but they did print a card called Card of Demise that was clearly similar, and it lets you draw until you have three cards in your hand. Uh, so potentially you can draw three cards, which is pretty good, but they attached a crazy amount of stipulations to it. You can't special summon the turn you activate it. That That's a really big deal because a lot of decks, like special summoning is like a core part of their game plan. You, uh, you can only activate one... Uh, card of demise per turn so you can't like you know uh draw like up to nine cards or whatever with it and uh your opponent doesn't take any damage the turn you activate it and at the end of the turn you have to discard your whole hand um no matter what's in it even if the cards there aren't the cards you drew you have to get rid of them and people still played it like Mm -hmm. a lot it's currently limited because it's so good. Uh, limited meaning that uh, you can only play one of it in your deck as opposed to three. So, like, even with all those stipulations, the ability to draw three cards per turn uh, with one card was just was just way too strong. So, you know, obviously they couldn't print the draw five. But I do think that it is um, it's interesting when they do stuff like that, when they, you know, try to adapt cards that are, like, like really, really overpowered but have, like, a neat idea behind them. And they're just like, okay, yeah, uh, how can we do this in a way that's, like, you know, fun to play in, like, an actual competitive setting? Yeah, once you, got, once you stop looking at the pay-to-win, like, obviously whoever's got the most money to build the best deck is the winner, right? But once you get rid of that and you assume that both the people have, like, a winning deck, then, like, whoever's got more cards in their hand is, is usually the person who's going to Yep. Win. Yeah, exactly. Card advantage is a big deal in Yu-Gi-Oh! And I imagine, and, like, like pretty much every card game I've played, card advantage matters a lot. So is there not, like, a discard phase? Can you not hold only a certain amount in Yu-Gi-Oh? There is, but it's, like... So, so you can only hold up to seven cards in your hand, I think. No, only up to six, but usually you don't get... You, you usually use a lot of cards, and you, you usually also don't get to the point where you're holding seven cards in your hand. So most of the time, people aren't going to be discarding cards during the end phase just because of how many of their resources they're using. Because like, like the thing about Yu-Gi-Oh! is that there's no mana system or anything, so you can use pretty much any card you have in your hand turn one which means that all of the cards that you have in your hand are always super, super valuable. And you want to make sure you get as much uh, use out of them as possible. So um, there's definitely uh, reasons um, that you would want to like hold cards uh, in Yu-Gi-Oh! But there are rarely ever times where you want to hold like that many uh, in your hand at once, if that makes sense. Um, that's, 
Yeah, that makes total sense. Like, that's yeah. the biggest bummer in Magic and pretty much all the formats. Basically, if, if you don't have land, if you don't have your mana, like, <laughs> you're not doing yeah. anything. So, uh, that's right. A lot of people are moving towards the game. I haven't played it yet, but uh, I looked at it. It's called Flesh and Blood, and basically, it eliminates that, too, where you can't get mana screwed. Because yeah. it's literally the worst way to lose. Like, uh, with Magic, like... I've never played in, like, really competitive tournaments or anything with it. Um, so, it, it's always been for fun for me. So, it's one of the only games I can play and get my ass beat. And I'm still happy that I'm playing. Yeah. Like, uh, with Monopoly, like, I want to flip the table over. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or just any other game in general. But, like, you, you can take a lot of it as learning experience. It helps you tinker with your decks. Uh it makes you go back. There's, there's been so many times I've been playing on Arena where I'm like, oh my god, if I would have just played this card first this last turn, like I could have beat this person. Yeah, I think that Yu-Gi-Oh is the same. It, it definitely depends on the format because there are some formats where losing just sucks in Yu-Gi-Oh, and and it feels bad. And you're like, this this wasn't my fault. It was just because you know they drew a really good hand. But there are other super interactive back and forth formats in Yu-Gi-Oh. Some formats that I've played have been like the most skill intensive gameplay like I've, I've ever like like the amount of decisions that you have to make and the amount of the short amount of time that you have to make them and like the amount of like game awareness that you have to have uh it, it was like so high and it felt really good to be constantly improving at the game and getting to a point where i could be aware of all of those things again it depends though because there's some Yu-Gi-Oh formats where it's just like uh you do your combo and then you win if your opponent doesn't have any way to disrupt you or break your board at the end uh but but like you know like peak Yu-Gi-Oh when it's really at its best yeah yeah i get what you mean like even when i would uh when i would lose it, I, I wouldn't even be that mad because i would just be having so much fun playing and you know going back and forth and you know taking mental notes and being like oh i could have done this here or i could have done that here and, you know, like when you are able to get past the uh, like financial barrier that a lot of card games have and, uh, you know, you're able to just, you know, like play the game and, and focus on like the actual like gameplay aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And it can be super magical. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one thing. Uh, Magic actually came out in the last couple of years and it, it's gained a ton of popularity. It's a, a format called Popper where you can only play. So it's also a singleton format kind of like commander where you can only play one of each card yeah but um essentially you can only use common cards that's so awesome that takes the so obviously it's, it's built the price up on a few commons that are kind of overpowered but uh at the same time it, it's very affordable for people to play because some of the decks like if you want a really competitive deck you're you're paying upwards of like 700 bucks to a thousand dollars just to get all the cards like the normal person just doesn't have that kind of money to invest yeah. in something like that for something that you're playing for fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess if you if you like to win money, like I, I would never go to a tournament and be able to win money. <laughs> the, the the thing that sucks about Yu-Gi-Oh is it's a, it's kind of similar price point wise to Magic, except there's no prize support. Uh, aside from just more Yu-Gi-Oh cards. So you're really paying just because you like playing the game a lot. Now, to be fair, the cards generally do retain their value unless they're super broken and they get immediately banned. But usually the cards do retain their value for long enough that you can buy them. And then if you hold on to them, 
for a little while. Like if, if you're like market savvy, then you can sell them and make enough money back to buy, you know, the next deck that's really good or whatever. But you do have to be pretty good at the game and pretty like into the metagame and the market. So, and I, so I agree with you. Most people aren't really going to be able to be playing at like that level. So uh, yeah, stuff like that is really cool. There have been like uh, Yu-Gi-Oh like streamers and YouTubers who have uh, hosted common only tournaments uh, which and and like the really neat thing about that is they're on like online platforms where all of the cards are technically free. So it's it's really just to see what you could do with stuff like that. I've never been to like an in paper common only tournament, but yeah, stuff like that is really fun and it also uh, forces you to be a lot more uh, creative because like your options are so limited and like the kind of card synergies that you normally take for granted and like expect just don't exist anymore. So some cards that used to be really good are just like not anymore. And it's, yeah, it, it's super neat. And again, I wish Yu-Gi-Oh had more officially like sanctioned uh, formats like that, but it doesn't. And if it did, I think it would be a lot more popular, but oh well, you know, uh, I can only hope, I guess. Yeah, when I uh, when I was running my GameStop, we had several common only uh, tournaments. That's awesome. We had a lot of kids coming in, and these kids can't compete with these adults that were coming in and spending hundreds of dollars a week on cards. Not even just at my shop; they would go to other shops and buy rares and you know ultra rares. And basically, we had people building the net decks, and you know yeah. it. It was just, it was insane. So for these Yeah, kids, you never I, dealt in singles, right? Huh? You never dealt in singles, right? A little bit. It wasn't like I wasn't, didn't get huge into it. But, you know, when I opened stuff and I got valuable cards, hell yeah, I put those in my shelf and sell them. Okay, yeah. But yeah, lots of, lots of common tournaments just so the kids could feel like they could do stuff. So... I always felt like one of the most creative formats was drafting. Um, yeah. If, oh, yeah. if you want to be creative with how you're going to play your deck and really learn how to play the game in in different ways and get an idea of how the different cards works, drafting was always really cool. Um, the only paper draft I was ever a part of was Pokemon. Like I remember when the Fossil set came out, which I think was like the second set of Pokemon, me, my dad, and my stepbrother all went to a, a couple of drafts and would, would draft Pokemon, which was pretty neat. It's one of the ways we got a lot of our uh, collection up. And when I did play Hearthstone, I think the only way I would play it regularly was on draft. The uh, only Pokemon that I've actually sat down and played, like sanctioned at a tournament, was a draft. Uh, I entered a Mega Trainer, and I actually won with like no prior Pokemon experience, which was uh, pretty funny. But yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Just like looking at the cards, taking them at face value, and like, 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 with no really competitive meta knowledge, uh, trying to figure out what I could do to uh, beat everybody else. And yeah, yeah, I agree. Stuff like that is like super cool. And uh, I mean, obviously, it's like expensive because you have to buy all the packs specifically to build the deck. But that aside, yeah, like, like it's just great. And um, you know, every time you do draft like sealed play, it's never the same thing twice. 
So, you know, like, it, 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 even if you only have, like, the bare, like, basic, like, minimum knowledge of how a game works, pretty much anybody can play, like, sealed play, right? And I think that's the best part about it. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, doing a draft format is probably one of the fairest ways. Like, if you were actually going to play for some type of prize, because it, it kind of eliminates the that whole pay-to-play thing from that specific night when you sit down to play. And so, yeah. essentially... You're kind of, it's kind of luck of the draw there. So, of course, if you have familiarity with the set and how and how you want to formulate a deck, that gives you a little bit of an advantage. At the same time, if it's if you're doing one where you're basically pulling a card and passing the pack, then you know it, it's up in the air. Anybody can win. Yeah, and that's that's what's fun about that type of format. So, um, I think we need to to take some time to talk about Hearthstone because Hearthstone might be other than Magic the Gathering, one of the biggest trading card games available right now. And I want to blame its popularity on the pandemic, but I can't because it was way popular way before the pandemic started. Does anybody have any uh, ideas on what made Hearthstone so popular? World of Warcraft? Yeah, I was about to say Blizzard (laughs) made it. So, you know, that probably has something to do with it. I think Hearthstone really, really started to blow up actually around the time that Overwatch was getting popular too, because I mean, like, you know, Overwatch was such a big game. Uh, Granted, it it had a lot of console popularity as well, but I mean, you know, we can't pretend like that was where all of the player base was or even where most of the player base was. A lot of people played Overwatch on PC. And the thing about doing that is whenever you opened up Battle.net, you'd see all the other stuff like StarCraft, World of Warcraft, uh, and of course Hearthstone just sitting there looking at you. And um, (laughs) when Hearthstone's a pretty simple looking game and it's also free to play and it doesn't take that much storage space up on your computer, you know, you can kind of see why a lot of people might look at that and be like, well, you know, I'm already in Battle.net to play myself some Overwatch or WoW or whatever. Maybe let's give it a try. And then they tell their friends about it and, you know, Yada, 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 right? It's like, I also think it helps that Battle.net is a super, like, small launcher. And it's not, like, like what, like what the, the thing about launchers, right, is, I, I, I don't know how, how much people kept up with, like, the whole Epic Games Store thing. But a lot of people really didn't like that Epic Games was trying to make a Steam-like store uh, because everybody likes Steam. And chances are uh, they didn't think it was going to be as nice as Steam. But... Battle.net was just very small. It was clearly only for Blizzard's own stuff. Uh, It's not a big window when you open it. It's not intrusive or anything. So I don't think people had a problem with installing it, you know, just to play Hearthstone. Uh, It wasn't like installing basically a second Steam that's like not Steam to play stuff like, I don't know, like Tony Hawk or whatever, like you have to do at the Epic Games Store. So, you know, I I think there are a lot of reasons why. It was also simple. It also went mobile. You could just download yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. In the mobile, if you had a Android tablet or an iPad, and eventually it went, so it became so it could go on phones too. Once phones got a little bit more powerful, yeah. Um, and I, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that you know it's was popular because it was tied to Warcraft. But the reason that didn't occur to me when I first asked the question is because I had a lot of friends who played Hearthstone who never played Warcraft or pretty much any other Blizzard games for that matter. But, you know, Hearthstone got so popular that they were playing it, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's what I think it was, because I don't think Hearthstone. I, I think it's a good game, 
but I don't think it would have blown up the way it did if it had been published by somebody else. Well, it's just like, it's just like Gwent. Yeah. I mean, you know, pretty much exactly the same thing, actually. Yeah. Plenty of people who don't even play the Witcher play Gwent. Uh, so yeah, I get what you mean. Yep. It's like if people who played the Witcher game, you know, saw Gwent come along and they were like, Oh, I'm going to give it a try. And then the TV show came out. We became more aware of it. And then even then the word of those people went to other people and it just got super popular. I mean, I know there's still people that don't know what it is, but you know, Witcher isn't World of Warcraft. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, and then, like I said, I can't blame it on the pandemic, but you do have to say, you know, a lot of people who did want to play a trading card game during this pandemic because mm-hmm. you can't get sit down. Like oh. you were saying, why a lot of people have been playing on Magic Arena and stuff like that. You know, a lot of people were playing Hearthstone just because they could. It definitely helped. It definitely helped it a lot. I mean, again, just like Gwent. Before, well, and you know what? Here's a perfect example. You know, Hearthstone was popular before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Gwent wasn't. It, it was doing okay, but it didn't really start getting popular until the pandemic hit. And that could just be coincidence. It could be other things attributed. You know, the TV show came out before the pandemic hit, so, you know, you can't use that. So, I mean, could have been anything, but coincidence kind of throws in that, you know, maybe the pandemic might have had something to do with it. A lot of people got into Yu-Gi-Oh! during the pandemic as well. Um, I mean, really, a lot of stuff just got popular, right? Like, uh, this, this extends beyond card games, like TV shows and stuff. Like, I watched all The Sopranos during the pandemic, uh, for example. So, you know. That's the heck we wanted to catch up on. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, Amazon's really making out like a bandit all the way around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. All the way around. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, uh, I, I definitely think that, like, so Hearthstone doesn't owe its success to the pandemic. Obviously, I think it got more popular during the pandemic, but I think it's just, and of course, I think it helps that it's just like a well-made game too. You know, it's just simple. It's easy to pick up. The animations are pretty and nice. Uh, and then, you know, just as a cherry on top, it's tied to Warcraft. So Warcraft has always had that uh, that tongue-in-cheek humor as yeah. well, where it never really took itself too seriously, which I think lends itself well to the quick little card game because you can infuse a lot of that humor into a lot of those cards, which I think makes it seem a whole lot more accessible too. If people yeah. are downloading that app for free and giving it a shot and then seeing goofy things going on instead of it being super serious, I mean, that makes it a whole lot more accessible. Yeah. I'm going to have to check it out for sure. Like, I, I can't really uh, you know, give an opinion on any of it, but it sounds like uh, something I need to check out. I never got deep into it, but it has like a bunch of single player content, like a story mode and stuff. So even if you only want to play it just so that you can say you have like just to broaden your horizons a bit. I'd say it's worth it, especially because it's free. I just played through the story mode and all that. Messed a little bit online and did win a couple matches, which always feels good. Uh, But, you know, I'm not like a Hearthstone player in the sense that I play it competitively or anything. I will say if one of the things that you were talking about getting mana screwed and stuff like that, one of the ways you Hearthstone differs from Magic, I mean, there's plenty of ways they differ. But one of the ways that Hearthstone differs from Magic is it's literally impossible because you just get a mana every turn. It just happens. So whether you play the card or draw the card or not, you just, on turn two, you have two mana. On turn three, you have three mana, and just you can play that however it needs to be played. So Keyforge is a Garfield game too, right? Is it a Richard Garfield? Is is he up with that? (laughs) 
I believe so. I mean, I, think, I was I imagining the cat for a second. <laughs> so, so here's a fun little tidbit. So, I, I don't think we would be sitting here talking about all these trading card games if it wasn't for this particular thing that's going to put a big smile on Rick and Baron's face. So, if it wasn't for Dungeons and Dragons, I don't think any of these fantasy TCGs would exist at all. They may have came on, you know, later down the line, but basically that's where the so the developer of magic the gathering he loved dungeons and dragons and was really invested in it but he wanted to basically figure out a way to to not have month-long campaigns and all of this stuff and just be able to have something where you can sit down and so i feel like a lot of these other games stemmed from the success of magic you know early early 90s you know that, that came out that came out like uh like its butt was on fire. And I, I, I feel like none of these games would have evolved to where they are now if they ever did come about, if it wasn't for Dungeons and Dragons. I, I think we were actually just talking about, we were just talking about this on the last episode where uh, that, that episode was on Lord of the Rings and it's, you know, how Tolkien invented modern high fantasy. So... Oh my God. Invented did high Tolkien, fantasy. Did Tolkien invent collectible card games? A little bit, token. yeah. Through a couple of layers of separation. Token, there's no D, there's no RPGs or like or modern RPG video games or trading card games or like it's just like a whole flow chart. That's oh crazy. God. How if you actually take the domino effect back and trace it back to its source, Tolkien invented like like Bakugan. <laughs> That's so stupid. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, so what we're saying is. Tolkien fathered my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and to answer your question, I did pull out the box, uh, Bo. It says Keyforge, a unique deck game by Richard Garfield. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, basically, the, definitely. Uh, the worst part of the original game he invented, he took out of that game. So, you can't get mana screwed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the only thing that restricts your card play in Keyforge is, like I said, every deck is made... I forget how many houses there are. I think there's seven houses. And I think there's actually been a couple expansions since then where they've added a couple more houses. But every deck that you buy has three houses in it. So this is cards from three different groups. So if you think of it like in Magic, you've got like the five different colors... You know, in Keyforge, you've got seven different houses, and every deck is a three-house deck. Like, it's got three different houses. And just at the beginning of your turn, you call a house. You're like, okay, this turn I'm playing House Shadows or House Discord, or uh, there, there's a bunch of different houses, and you could only play cards from that house on that turn. With, of course, certain exceptions. There's always exceptions to every rule in every card game based on what's printed on the card. That's how the card games work. But yeah, that's that's the only restriction to what cards you can play on every any given turn. That's cool. that's pretty cool. But uh, I feel like we need to to segue back to Token's big dick energy that he's still producing. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yes, <laughs> my daughter. Andy like we had just leave it there. This isn't fun. This isn't fun anymore, guys. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, Token's great. Yeah. I mean, he's responsible for so much stuff. Yeah. Like I said, we talked about it last week. I was like, I was like, if I'm going to talk about Tolkien, because like my knowledge of the Lord of the Rings wasn't huge. I was like, but one thing I do know is a lot of things I do like Tolkien is either directly or indirectly responsible for. 
Because, you know, I, li- I like me some Final Fantasy. Uh, that traces its origins back to D&D, which traces its origins back to Tolkien. So, yeah, like, he's, uh... Yeah, he's great. Father a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I-, I think my favorite thing about Tolkien, too, is that it was, like, it was just a passion project for him. It wasn't financially motivated, and that's so cool. Because one thing that really takes me out of or makes me appreciate any anything really that I in, a, end up enjoying less is when I can tell that it's like cynical and it's like boardroom produced. Uh, the fact that he was just one guy and he made all this cool stuff and, you know, just put it out there for people to enjoy. And it was just for fun. That's great. Yeah, I don't want to talk shit. about it too much because there's a there's a two hour episode people can listen to. Just before then. But I mean, basically, he was he was telling his kid bedtime stories, and like the kid noticed there was inconsistencies in the story. Where one day he'd say the door was green, and the next day he'd say the door was blue. So he was like, "Crap, I got to start writing this stuff down. That way, I don't forget it." And that's how he wrote the book. You know, he was just writing stuff down so he didn't mess it up when he was telling the kid to his story at night and telling yeah. his story to the kid at night. Oh, that Tolkien! What a cat! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I can say as soon as the as soon as this pandemic's over, or as soon as we get enough people vaccinated and there's herd immunity going on, one of the first things I'll be doing is going back to play KeyForge with my friends at a at a game store or like you know gathering. I mean, it's just there there are two things you can rely on as a gamer, at least in my opinion, is like I can always rely on my friends wanting to play Dungeons and Dragons once a week. And I can always rely, if I go to a game store with my deck of cards, um, I can probably find somebody who will play a game with me. Yep. And it's awesome. Yeah. I've missed locals so much. Okay. You know. Yeah. With that being said, we should just drop the, you know, support your local game shops. For sure. Yes, absolutely. They need it. Make sure you do. Uh, you know, they might look like they're doing fine, but, uh, you know, if everybody who passes by just assumes, ah, oh, you know, they don't need me. Uh, then you know they'll go out of business. They so. do. <laughs> yeah, I promise you they do. I have I have a rule whenever I go to an FLGS that stands for a friendly local game store. Um, I will not leave without purchasing something. Yeah, be it just a set of dice or a, a pack of whatever kind of cards or whatever. Like I will not leave that store until I have purchased something because it's, if I'm there, they need my money. Especially if you're there to use a table. Uh huh. Yeah, I agree oh, yeah. with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I never had. I mean, I'm not going to be one of those people that was like, oh, you know, these people always piss me off. But I always noticed that we, I would have several people come in, use my tables to game. You know, they would play D and D. They would, you know, you know, uh, play cards, but they would never buy anything. And it's like, well, whatever. My tables are open anyways. But you know, thinking about if everybody who came in spent even just a pack for a pack of cards that would have won a huge huge disc oh yeah, yeah. so yeah if, if you're listening to this podcast anyone any every ear that my voice reaches right now please just if you want your gaming habits to continue and you want to be able to play local which trust me you want to be able to play local it's just not the same when you're playing online or having this. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me also add, if you it. only play MTG Arena or, like, anything online, just try, even if you have to borrow one of your friend's decks, if you have the ability to try to play in person, it's completely different, and it's so much more engaging. It's so much more fun. Oh, yeah. As someone, as someone who is very, you know, empathic, 
it, it is a completely different experience being able to sit there, see the person's face, essentially, you know, feel their energy while you're playing. It's yeah, it's just like playing poker online. You, you can't, you know, completely different. Yeah, it's not the same thing. Yeah, yeah, people exactly. have talent. You can tell when people are thinking. So yeah, it. it so so yeah. If you, like, you know, swag said, if you're playing online and you're not great at it, try it in person. You may just play. You may just annihilate people playing them in person. Yep. And so, yeah, that said, support your local game stores because if you yeah. don't, you can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. A local game store is one of the hardest businesses to keep open because of that exact thing. Mm -hmm. Because your average customer isn't spending money. You know, they've already bought their cards. They've already bought their game. Dungeons and Dragons has is more free than it's ever been, and it's already it's always been pretty free. So just spend a spend a little something on something, you know. And and we know we know it's cheaper on Amazon. We know it's cheaper online. We all know that. Still <laughs> mm -hmm. go to your local game store. Just spend some money, buddy. I mean, if you, if you're if you're gonna buy bulk, whatever, buy online. Even though. Most game stores will give you a deal if you buy it by the box. If you buy it by two boxes, they will give you deals. We know it's cheaper online, but come on. Like at the very least, if you're just passing by, you know, yeah, just like just go in and buy like a, a Dr Pepper or something. Yeah, you know what? Too, you guys go in there and you buy snacks, you buy drinks. I guarantee you, they're getting more of a deal off of you buying the food there than they would be like say you buying a pack of cards yeah, yeah that profit margin is higher on those things yeah yeah and yeah. also if you're interested in playing any of these games if you were to go into lgs i know we're in a different time right now but once everything opens back up like if you see a group of people playing games i guarantee you if you don't know what they're playing and you want to learn every single person there will be willing to show you how to play the game. Somebody will sit down with you for hours and show you how to play the game. I would love to teach someone how to play Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I will say that it, it can be for different reasons. You know, <laughs> some, of, some of us, you know, want more people to play with. Some of us like passing on that knowledge. Be warned, some of them want someone to stomp into the ground and shit talk <laughs> you while you're bleeding under the table. Yeah. Somebody but, wants you to come they, to the next draft and then right. take all your cards. <laughs> but they will teach you. <laughs> there will be a lesson learned. I will say, like, I, I'd love to 100% just announce that the age of gatekeeping is over. And, you know, it's it's not. There are still gatekeepers. There are still assholes. But I will say, like, we keep talking about it on this podcast. Like, gatekeeping is not what it used to be in the nerd community. Like, there are not people standing at the door, like, checking your knowledge before you get in anymore. Like, the door is wide open. Please come in. People have realized that the more people who are into their hobby, the better their hobby gets. So, yeah, they're definitely... We, we want you to come play these games, so please come play these games. I think... I don't know if this is the same in other games, but in Yu-Gi-Oh! specifically, there are... Uh, it is a little bit annoying. People will definitely like kind of, you know, jab you and poke fun at you if you like misplay a lot. And that game has such a an insanely high learning curve that um that can be a bit discouraging. Uh, but I think since I really got into the game in 2016, it's definitely been toned down like 
a lot. Like people are a lot more chill about it now than they used to be. And I don't know how much that applies to other games, but uh, you know, um, I, 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 I definitely agree with what you're saying, generally speaking too, not just in card games, but in, you know, just like nerd hobbies in general. Yeah. Right. I, I think that that attitude has been very recently been dropping off. It, it's it's been one becoming more accepted to be a geek and anything attributed to the, to those things. So with that said, we're getting younger and younger people getting in. It's frankly harder for the old guard to gatekeep, as it were, because there's so many new people coming in. And frankly, with all these new people, again, I, I bring this up all the time, with all these new people, with all this new uh, blood coming in, brings with it money, brings with it companies wanting to get that money, more merch, more things. Yep. So really, the old guard, the smart ones, know to shut the fuck up and enjoy this new shit, and those ones are also really quick to stomp out the gatekeeping because it's like shut the fuck up we're getting cool shit now yeah <laughs> I, again, I aged myself earlier in, in in middle school and high school you know i couldn't where where the hell am i going to find D shirts where the hell was i going to find like a gelatinous cube toy where, where am i going to get all this shit it, it didn't exist now it's like I can spend 10 bucks and get a pretty decent D&D shirt. There's all kinds of action figures and toys just for D&D. And mm -hmm. I great stuff for, for collecting card games. I mean, look at all the stuff that's coming out for Magic. Look at all the stuff that's come out for Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! And, you know, all these other collectible card games that now have badass merch. And not even just all the extra stuff in the merch, but like if all you want to do is play the game, like if it's all about the game for you, like one of the hardest things about putting together a game of D&D &D or trying to put together a magic tournament used to be finding the players. Like yep. you just didn't have enough people who could all meet up on the same day to do stuff like that. And now the more people we have in the hobby, the easier it is for you to get a game. And like you said, so literally, you want to play, you need players. You yeah. can walk into a game store right now and and probably find somebody somebody that would play a card game with you. I um I'd also like to say that uh one of my uh groups of friends the the group of friends that I'm actually the closest with right now uh, I met the two people who introduced me to the rest of them at a Yu-Gi-Oh locals. So I mean like yeah it's just you know it's it's really cool to have like. Like it's really good to just make sure that everybody's you know down to earth. Um, I don't think anybody really needs to hear this. I doubt that like anybody listening is just sitting there crossing their arms like no. <laughs> I only want vetted people playing magic with me. But you know, like just in case. <laughs> just in case that, that person, they're most likely not fans of our podcast by this. Point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they turned this episode off like an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, the, that's the great thing about TCGs, though. It's just the camaraderie. Like, yeah. you could literally sit down next to somebody you've never met in your life, but you already have something in common that you can talk about. Yeah, exactly. And, like, and th that's the joy of the games because, yeah, I might be getting my ass stomped in, but at the same time, I'm I'm meeting a new person talking about stuff that we both mutually like. 
Yeah. So that's that's the great thing about the game. It just brings people together. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that it's that open mutual interest. You don't have to you don't have to interview somebody to figure out what they're into. You know what they're into. It's right there in front of them. But oh, we like the same thing. How do you know? You got the cards out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like we're literally playing the game that we like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing here right now. What what is this? Louis, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, like somebody's like, oh wait, you like Yu-Gi-Oh, and you just like snap out of it, like. Wait, no, and you like leave. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was some kid's grandpa that had to come and fill in the eighth slot so that we could have a full tournament. <laughs> but, but like the, the, the cool thing, like a lot of the time, people will have like, they'll, they'll be carrying stuff with them that is indicative of other interests. Like it doesn't even mm-hmm. have to be something obvious like a shirt or a jacket. Like people can have like themed bags or a themed play mat or themed sleeves or like a themed water bottle or one of their friends walks by and you hear them talking about something you like. like Stickers. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff. And so it's really, really easy to make uh, friends in a setting like this because, I mean, I'm pretty sure, you know, everybody can safely agree nobody's only interest is the trading card game that they play uh so you know you're bound to find some other overlap there and maybe run into like your future best friend and i i think that that's really cool Mm -hmm. well and then like even then let's just say there's not like you know bo was saying that D was doing his thing if i was to sit across from the table with him and play magic with him I would make that automatic automatic assumption that hey, you know what? You probably play D and D because you play Magic, which would honestly strike up a conversation, and we would probably talk yeah, about yeah. And, yeah, you're right. Yeah, all of a just, sudden I'm sitting at your D and D table the next week. <laughs> <laughs> I it wouldn't be the first time that's happened. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> oh, don't. So I'm not going to say too much, but Rick and I work at a common place, and I've literally mm-hmm. seen Rick get people working with him. <laughs> like some random person walks in, and he's like, "Hey, <laughs> like, That's do you awesome. like Dungeons and Dragons?" <laughs> and now the tattoo, the yeah. tattoo is definitely going to help now. <laughs> oh yeah, the tattoo has had. Started so many D and D conversations. Like it used to be, like I'd wear like just like a little D twenty necklace or something like that, and like somebody would notice it, and people would either assume I played Magic or assume I played D and D because apparently D twenties are used a lot in Magic for life counters. Yeah, yeah. So like there were there were some people who straight up come up and ask me, "Oh, what color do you play?" And I'd be like, "Uh, what?" <laughs> that's always really awkward yeah like when somebody thinks like that like something like like they think that you're like saying something that you're not and then like they they act like and you feel like really stupid you're like yeah oh like am i just out of it or what yeah yeah <laughs> and they'd be like oh you play magic right and i'd be like oh i've played magic like a couple of times when i do i play black i'm sorry um but i was like no i wear this for D. but like yeah that's used to start a lot of conversations and now the tattoo, it's like, oh, that's a dragon and that's a D20. Like, I know exactly what you do. And uh, I'm not going to say I take advantage of it, but I do work in a sales position. And, like, <laughs> when people like me, they do tend to buy more things. So, uh, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I, 
Rick's getting a lot of interest from older women over that tattoo as well. So that's true. They, I have like I'm like seventy eight year old women. They're like, ooh, I like that tattoo. It didn't take a wild guess though. It's the tattoo and the hair. <laughs> no, it, it, well, it might be, but what they always ask is about the text. Like I have like a for those who have not seen my tattoo because we are in audio format. I have a, a great big paragraph of draconic text across my forearm. And like everyone's always interested in what it says or, or you know, what it is, what language it is. It, it's definitely Bible. a conversation starter. Yeah. I think it's a Bible verse. <laughs> <laughs> the, them old ladies coming up to you, needing a young man, getting them ready for the end. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So, um, Which actually, my tattoo artist who was on our episode for tattoos, um, one of the reasons I chose her to do my tattoos is she was doing an entire sleeve of Magic the Gathering for her husband. Yep. So one thing I, I did want to touch on, and I'm intrigued to see if any other card games <clears throat> have something like this. Just with the age of Magic, obviously it's been around since 93, the reserved list is a sacred list that they occasionally pull cards off of but essentially what it is uh for those who don't know is a list of cards that wizards of the coast has deemed that they're never going to print them again so basically to protect the secondary value of that card they've decided mm -hmm. not to print that card again some of them it's because like the mechanic is just way overpowered on the card and then others are like the most epic cards you can get in Magic. So the Power Nine is, is what those are called from the Alpha and Beta sets, you know, back in Baron's day, back in the old Dusty Age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so some of those, I mean, the, the prices on those is outrageous. And uh, I don't, am I allowed to like shout out something here from like another YouTube channel? Oh, yeah, that's fine. We talk about yeah. other YouTube so, channels. So I, I have, yeah, I, I have no uh, connection to uh, Dan at all, but there's a guy that, this this is really, really cool stuff. He uh, has a YouTube channel called Open Boosters and when he was younger, he has a bunch of unopened packs of cards that he just never opened. His dad actually hid them from him at one point in his life and he basically gave them back to him like eight years ago or so and he goes in and opens up these old packs from like 1993 and just gets Is that the guy who ended up because he opened the Black Lotus? He's opened at least two on there that I know of. Yeah, like it was just like an, a really old pack that never got opened, and he opened a Black yeah. Lotus. Yeah, he's oh opened at God. least two on it. Yeah, like, and he he's opened a lot of other epic stuff on there. Uh, so with the Power Nine, you you've got all the moxes. There's like a Mox Ruby, Mox Emerald, and basically each one is tied to you know Swamp Mountain. So it, it's just color formatted, and then some of the other big cards there are going to be like. Uh, Time Walk, Time Twister, and Ancestral Recall. I'm pretty sure you opened up an Ancestral Recall on there as well. Uh, but, I mean, those are awesome, awesome, awesome cards. And and just watching somebody open it up, like, you actually get that adrenaline rush. <laughs> like, when, when you see them, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I, was, I, was, I was doing uh, – I was helping a buddy go through his cards. Now, th this dude used to own his own business. It was super successful. So he would just spend money on things, just whatever. So he had a shit ton of magic cards, and he wanted to sell some, so he wanted me to go through them and see. So I'm going through them. I'm seeing some really good cards, and then like I flip through one of his binders, and it was like 
Isn't that a cool lamp? <laughs> yeah. And I flipped it, and then it was like a whole page of dual lands. I'm like, what? <laughs> 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 yeah, I was just going to go donate these at the local Goodwill. Oh my uh, you're God. actually sitting on a gold mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, what the fuck, man? So it's like he, he obviously bought somebody's collection is what it was. So he spent some money to get them. But even then, it, it had been maybe... At that point, maybe 18 years since he bought them. So it was like, oh my God, man. Oh, he, he got them for a penny dollar. It's probably somebody just getting rid of their collection. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, um, so I have a really fun little saga with one expensive Yu Gi Oh card that I had. So when I was a kid, I, we already talked about how I didn't really know what I was doing in terms of deck building. So I just I just had all these dragons shoved into a deck together. No rhyme or reason. I needed uh, to get three blue eyes so that I could... And by the way, summoning blue eyes ultimate dragon, uh, which is what my um, game plan was here when I was scouring for blue eyes white dragons, was never, like, it wasn't good at all, even a little bit. Um, too many, too many turns for what it is. It, well, it's not that. It's so in order to summon like that fusion monster, you need the three blue eyes and polymerization, and and in order to do that, that means you have to use four cards to get one. And the blue eyes ultimate dragon is strong, but it doesn't have any like protection. So like they could flip up a trap hole. And it would just immediately die or like a mirror force or whatever, right? So it wasn't worth it. But I, as right. a kid, thought it was cool. I also didn't realize how easy it was to get a hold of blue eyes. So, like, I didn't know that you could just get them from, like, a structure deck. So oh, I yeah. would go around my locals just, you know, looking for stuff that I wanted to get. And I found this one guy. So I had a, a Metal Raiders Black Skull Dragon. Metal Raiders being the second set of the game and Black Skull Dragon being one of the uh, the priciest cards from that set. And actually, I can go ahead and look up Black Skull Dragon value real quick here. But it's it was worth a fair chunk of money. At least I think maybe it's gone down, but I'm looking for the first set. Anyway, uh, the point is that it was a pretty expensive card, and Blue Eyes wasn't worth that much. And I found a guy who had a Blue Eyes, and uh, he thought he swindled me out of my Black Skull Dragon by giving it to me. Because he was like, oh, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll make this trade, uh, blah, blah, blah. I was a kid. I didn't know any better. And uh, later I was told by somebody that uh, I had been, you know, swindled. And I was like, oh, okay, that sucks. I didn't know. Later on, I, uh, like, years and years and years go by without me thinking about it. And I'm looking through my Yu-Gi-Oh! collection. And uh, for some reason, I do a little bit of research about this Blue Eyes in particular. It is a card, uh, it was a promo from a game called Dark Duel Stories. It was, like... You can't get them anymore because it came as a promo. And I mean, you know, like, like, it, you, like, there's definitely no way you're going to find a sealed copy of the game that still has it or whatever, right? Like, uh, it, it is just out of circulation, like, forever. And it's a blue eyes white dragon. So uh, obviously, that's going to have an effect on the value. Now, when I was like, I don't know, I was like 15 or something uh, when I found out about this. I was like, oh, wow, let me see how much it is. And it was going for like three or four hundred dollars. I was like, okay, 
Yeah, that's pretty good. So I put it up because I really wanted an Xbox One because the Master Chief Collection has just been announced. And um, I really wanted to play uh, Halo 2 again. And I do that. I get my $400. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. And every now and then I check to see how much money the card is worth. And people sell it for like five to 10 grand now. So I did end up making like a lot of money on the initial trade. But if I had held on to the card for a little longer, it would be like way, way more valuable. So it's like, eh, I don't know. I, I the, the the Xbox One and the uh, the Master Chief Collection were definitely nice at the time. So I guess I'm not too <laughs> upset. But it, it would definitely be a cool card to to still have. It's a real roller coaster. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, like I said, it was a saga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to circle back. To circle back a little bit, uh, Bo, you reminded me when you asked if you could mention other YouTube channels, and I don't know why I didn't told you about this earlier, knowing that you're a Magic the Gathering fan, but one of my favorite YouTube channels, and anyone who's listened to the podcast for any amount of time, they probably already know I'm a, I'm a big Game Grumps fan. I'm wearing a Game Grumps t-shirt right now. Uh, one of the main, the, well, probably the head of Game Grumps, one of the main two people, Aaron Hansen, started a whole other channel called Shuffle Master where all he does is open Magic the Gathering packs and, and play Magic the Gathering. So if, if you're looking for a cool Magic the Gathering YouTube channel, maybe check out Shuffle Master with Aaron Hansen. And then uh, one of the reasons we even have Rob on this episode is because I watched a video of his on YouTube all about Yu-Gi-Oh! And I was like, yeah, this dude knows this stuff. We should probably get a <laughs> card game episode. So, yeah, you should probably go check out his Yu-Gi-Oh! stuff, too. Ludwig watched that video on Twitch uh, for movie night, and that blew my mind. Uh, one of my friends told me, yeah, Ludwig was uh, watching your video. I was like, but it's not finished! It was supposed to be a preview! Oh, no! And, like, I, I watched his reaction to it, and he was like, that was a weird way for it to end abruptly. And I was like, no! Oh, no, you have no way of knowing, but this was just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, <it sucks. laughs> nah, it, it was cool because he he said he liked it. He just thought it was weird the way it ended. Ended, but I was just like, no, 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 bro, bro, you don't understand. <laughs> it, it was cool that he watched it on stream though. That, like, I I don't know who recommended it to him or if he just found it, but like that was really bizarre. Like you just find out that that was happening. Well, Bo, you were about to say something about a card, or oh yeah, yeah. So I, I was going to see if you all had any like specific cards or anything card related that is kind of like a, a treasure to you. So I sold my, uh, my original collection that I had, I sold my sophomore year of college for way less than what I should have got for it. And I've always regretted that. But uh, over the last couple of years, I, I've got a couple of things. So uh, one of my treasured cards now is I actually went back and got a guy's cradle. So I never actually pulled one. Uh, out of the Urza's block whenever I... That's when I basically got introduced to the game was uh, during the Urza's saga block. Uh, so that's probably like 97, 98, somewhere in there. And so I've always loved those cards. And so I, I actually have a, an original guy's cradle. And then the same artist that did the work on that one made my favorite card of all time. So it's not like some super expensive card or anything, but it's called Karn Silver Golem. And I actually bought a playmat of Karn Silver Golem. And 
the website I bought uh, bought that through. So this this is literally one of my favorite things I own. Still works with the the artist essentially. So Mark Zug actually signed my playmat that I have. And so now it's like one of my trade. Like, <laughs> I was like, I don't even want to play awesome. it because I'm afraid something's going to get spilled on it or something like that. Right. <laughs> so, do you all have anything cool like that that you are just like, oh man, this is my favorite thing ever? Unfortunately, as I was growing up and collecting cards, over time, most of my cards either were given to a younger sibling or stolen or sold, or I don't have anything left over um i will say there are cards that have meant things to me that other people would be like that card's not even like rare or powerful why did you really like it like in Yu-Gi-Oh, like one of my longest running Yu-Gi-Oh decks i had centered around ultimate baseball kid and i, I love that ultimate baseball kid card this is when i played a burn deck where basically I didn't have a single monster in my deck that was more than four stars. That way I could, there was no tribute summoning in my deck, no giving up cards to get cards. It was just a play, play, play. I played traps and equips and, and monsters that I could play as quickly as possible. And my thought process and my strategy was I was trying to get you done before you got to draw your big monster. <laughs> it was a kind of like a haymaker thing and it worked. It worked a lot. It was, it was a rush deck. Oh my god, Rick! Just think about what you said. <laughs> <laughs> it took me. A I, I went that thread so quickly. I don't even know what words I used. So I, I, I'm the only one adding on the. You said I'm trying to get you done before you summon your big monster. <laughs> Oh, god damn it. You pull out your big monster. Oh, pull out your big monster? That's even better. Oh, my God. Baron picked up on that first, and I was like, oh, my God. I I get why that's so funny. I was, like, trying to, like, go along, like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, uh... But what makes that funnier is Rick is usually good at, like, doing shit like that on purpose to take my sales. (laughs) <laughs> I, I just completely yeah. um, so, so did you ever succeed in finishing somebody before they got the <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah I, I i won a whole lot more than i lost um because <laughs> basically i usually i usually win in like turn two or three before anybody got a chance to set up their engines <laughs> So oh, that was beautiful. Basically, it was a bunch of Darkfire Soldier, Blazing Apache, because like all the all the cards that were like that were all fire, and then like I'd have like fire field cards that would boost up my fire monsters, and like a bunch of equip cards. I played Maha Velo in that deck for a little while because basically it was a very easy card to get out, and any card you equipped, it got like an extra five hundred attack points on top of whatever the equip card did for it. So it was like. That was my powerhouse. Like, if you were to bring out a powerhouse monster that my small monsters couldn't defeat, then I'd bring out Mahavelo and equip, like, four cards to it. But Ultimate Baseball Kid was one of the ones I got from a pack, and I just thought it was a really cool card because it was a low-star fire monster. It fit right in the theme of my deck, but you could sacrifice fire monsters in order to do damage to your opponent's life points directly. 
So if I had enough fire cards out, there was like pretty much nothing you could do. I'd just sacrifice them all and be like, okay, all your life points are gone. I'm sorry. The game's over. So it's basically like a like an aggro style deck too. Oh yeah. If, if played properly. Yeah, it just basically it was just uh, you don't get to play because the moment you put out a card that you would tribute summon next turn, it's gone. Like I'm not gonna give you time to set up your your thing. So basically, you wouldn't even buy them dinner first. <laughs> no, no, we we went straight to the deep <laughs> every time. You know, we said um, deck afterwards, um, and then uh, deck. I said deck. So, and then back before that, I, I can't believe I didn't. I can't believe I didn't remember this story. This I'm unlocking a memory right now. Back when I played Pokemon, um, like I was a kid who didn't like to do his homework. Like I always felt like I was kind of like above homework. Like I get A's and everything and not do my homework, so I'd end up with like a C average. So my dad made me a deal that like if I would start doing my homework more often, he'd buy me any Pokemon card I wanted. And um, he's like, who's your favorite Pokemon? And I was like, Snorlax. So, like, one of his buddies found out about this card called the Drunken Snorlax, which was, like, was only printed in Japan. So, like, you couldn't get the card in English. It was only in Japanese. And it was Snorlax. And, like, it was, I I think it was reprinted in America as Team Rocket's Snorlax. And, like, the art was changed on it. But in the original Japanese art, it was Snorlax just lying on his back and like he was surrounded by beer cans. And like the implication was he had <laughs> drunk himself unconscious. And I, I, he he got me that card and I love that card. So like I had that card for a little while, too. So that one meant a lot to me. I don't have any one individual like single card that means a lot to me, but... If you were to ask any of my friends, they'll tell you when I play a deck, I usually really, 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 really like that deck and all of the cards in it. And that's usually pretty true. There are a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh monsters that I have a super, super, super like tight, you know, like attachment uh, to not like just like thinking about like not just cards, but like fictional characters in uh, in general. Some of these cards, like I, I, I legit like invoke like or evoke like more strong feelings from me than like some of my favorite like fictional characters or scenes or whatever. Right? Like I like them more than I like uh, you know certain characters I grew up with as a kid that I really like. And I mean, like it, it's all for one reason or another. Sometimes I think the artwork is cool. Sometimes I think that the deck is just really fun to play, but. I do think that it's pretty fascinating uh, just how how much I've grown to like a lot of these cards. Like I said, there are a lot of them. There isn't really one that I can point to that I like like the most, the most. But th- I, I do have a lot of like really, you know, like uh, Yu-Gi-Oh cards that I think like really, really highly ever uh, look at really fondly. I would, I would try to say I'm in the same boat as Swag there. I don't have a single card. However, I do have... Things that I've held on to through the years that I just can't bear to part with because it just is just kind of cool. The, the two commander decks I've had since I've had my store open, it's a commander deck for uh, Zenagos the Reveler, and then the other one is just a werewolf commander deck. They're both really cool. I've been hanging on to an Al Snow 
raw deal deck for years. No one plays raw deal anymore. And if they do, it's very select people. Uh, again, if anybody doesn't know what raw deal is, it's a collectible card game that came out, oh man, around 2000. A lot of fun. Around the time everything had a collectible card game. Correct. Correct. But I, I think that Raw Deal is probably the card game that I had the most fun with. If it was still going, I would probably still be playing it. And then I also have a box. And when I say box, I mean it's a cardboard box that just has a bunch of werewolf, uh, Rage the Apocalypse card. I've never learned how to play it. I've never had anybody that would want to learn with me. But I have a shit ton of these cards that I could probably make a couple <laughs> decks with that I just have chilling in my house right now. It's it, I really it's based off of a tabletop RPG called uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse. It's this card game has been out since the '90s. I've had these cards since the '90s, and uh, I love the tabletop RPG. I don't know if I like the card game. Um, but I'm sure it might be kind of amusing. But it has a bunch of great artwork on it, too, which is a lot of the reasons why I keep a lot of these cards is the artwork. It's just great. If I could just blow them up into posters, I probably would. Yeah, so um, that's, that's mine. No single card. But. I haven't heard Al Snow mentioned in, like, 20 years. <laughs> but yeah. Make sure I'm on the right track here. He, he was a wrestler with a little doll head, right? Correct. It said like help on the forehead or something. Yep. Oh my! I love that guy. Back in the now, <laughs> now tell you, it's, it's funny because in this card game, you had oh Al Snow is from Ohio by the way, Lima, Ohio, and that's one of the reasons why I was really like you know I want to check this guy out. I'm from Ohio. <laughs> he's from Ohio. Sweet. I ended up really liking him. Anyways, his in this game you had starter decks that would come with like a wrestler and like three moves and then you can supplement with other things and stuff like that but then you also had wrestlers that you would just pull from decks some of them were rare some of them weren't his was just meh right it, it was like a common you pulled him all the time however he was a huge reversal deck that nobody exploited and me and a buddy sat down and we were like going over it and he was really he's really good mathematically and me I'm just like you know I just want to do cool stuff, and I want to keep the spirit of things. And so we we figured it out. And basically, if you you have three different moves, submission, a grapple, and a strike. But then you also have like finishing moves, trademark moves. Anyways, without so, if you discard a card, you can reverse any card of that type that you discarded. So we just had all the cards. All, all the different cards. Usually you had grapple decks or submission decks. No, I was everything. Everything. And, uh, oh, man, it was great. Just, just great. But you can even you know, reversals with a reversal if you discarded it. So, you know, yeah. celebrities like Al Snow have probably been asked to sign just about everything. But if you brought him that card, he'd probably think that was one of the coolest things somebody asked I was, him to sign. I was real pissed. I went to a show in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, it was a horror convention. Was not expecting to see Al Snow at a horror convention, but it was also <laughs> it was also like a there was a comic book convention kind of thing going on too. But I'll be damned if I didn't see his ass there. I'm like, God damn it! So I had a he was in a movie, like a little B movie, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy this fucking movie 
I'm gonna have him sign it. So yeah, now I gotta now I gotta take this deck everywhere I go now, just in case. Because <laughs> he might be, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna go into like a Denny's, and Al Snow's just gonna be sitting there and like, uh, "Excuse me, sir, can you sign this deck of cards?" Who was it you I, ran into at a Barnes and Noble? It was Al Snow. <laughs> oh, that was Al Snow as well. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, you've met him twice and you haven't had <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't approach him at the Barnes and Noble. Yeah. I wouldn't was he in the him, adult but... section. Well, he was there looking at maps and stuff. And I was like, Okay, this dude is he's he's doing something, I'm not gonna fucking bother him. So Yeah. I, I'm one of those fans. I'm like, I don't wanna bother him. Oh yeah. But, <laughs> Look, that's so you've run into him twice and still haven't gotten your Al Snow card signed. Correct. Correct. That's <laughs> awesome. That's so funny. What if you approached him at the Barnes and Noble and just like body slammed your ass right in the middle of the store? Uh, that would be, that so would be a story. <laughs> yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> He'd like pick me up and like, no, 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 no. Go over to the young adult section. <laughs> he just carries me over. <laughs> Now, okay, now you can go. <laughs> and go. <laughs> Fuck you, Twilight. Everybody's in their phones right now Googling Al Snow. Like, who the hell is this Al Snow guy? <laughs> look, up, look up his ECW stuff. It's even better. Oh, man. Uh, no, but bringing, uh, having brought that up, I will say that if there's, you know, you guys, anybody out there listening, if you're out there playing, if you're out there playing Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic, and that's what you know, do some looking around, because there's other card games out there. Oh um, my god, it's there. Tons of card games. And, and even card games that aren't in print anymore, believe me, there are people still playing. Like I said, I don't know if people are still playing Raw Deal. There are. There are. I haven't found them, but they're around. If I really wanted to... I could probably get a group of people going playing again. It'd be a lot of fun. Oh, God, I was so horrible at that game when I first started playing it. So horrible. Those offshoot card games, those ones that aren't, like, the big three, I guess you would say, the Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, and Yu-Gi-Oh! That, I would probably say those are the, the big three. Yeah. If they're not the big three, you could probably find a two-player starter kit for pretty cheap and just, just play with one friend. Be like, split the cost of the starter, two-player starter deck with a friend and just see if you like it. I mean, I played a... Once again, we're unlocking memories here. I played a Shaman King card game for, like, a week when it came out just because, like, when it came to, like, anime and manga, Shaman King was my jam for manga. Like, I used to go get my Shonen Jump. I used to reach... I used to get Shonen... uh, I used to get Shonen Jump just for Shaman King. And I'd read the other stuff in it, like Naruto and stuff like that, but I used to get it for Shaman King. So when I saw there was a Shaman King trading card game, I bought the Yo and Amitamaru starter deck immediately and learned how to play that game. Unfortunately, nobody else liked Shaman King as much as I did, so they were like, why am I going to buy all these cards? But I played it for like a week. In case anybody's interested, I have 12 starter decks for Raw Deal right here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that is an unopened box. That is in the shrink wrap. Let me zoom in. I want to see who. So we got. Is that Brett the Hitman Heart? Or is it. That's The Rock. Oh. If you smell. Oh, oh. Kane. Triple A. 
Mankind. Oh, yes. Stone Cold. Of course, Stone Cold, yeah. Oh, this uh, is straight up Attitude Era, yeah. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I don't want to. I don't want to tease something that won't happen. But that'd be. I think you opening that box of cards would be something really cool to happen for the Casters Guild YouTube channel. Well, I will say this: it's just starter decks, so it's uniform. You're going to get the same shit every time. Okay, but yeah. still, I think that'd be. Now, now, if I could find a box of boosters somewhere. The, the greatest troll job ever would be if somebody's listening to this and then they sold you a box of boosters of all Al Snow cards. They they just like reseeded the packs with all Al Snow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's more shit for him to sign, that motherfucker. <laughs> or if Al Snow is listening to this and he sends you a signed card. <laughs> you could probably get like an eight by ten of him shirtless. I mean right. he's He's like, this guy might be my biggest fan. <laughs> no, he'll, 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 send, he'll send me the sign car and be like, now quit following me around town. <laughs> I've noticed you in the white cargo van in the binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> look, it said free head on the side, but it meant... <laughs> It meant I had the I had the mannequin heads that I was giving away for free. I've got way too many weird offers. You get all these strange men knocking on your on your cargo van <laughs> outside of Target. Uh, they were so mad when I gave them the mannequin head too. I don't understand. They just sat there and pulled their monster out. Yeah. Rick couldn't finish him in time, so <laughs> he just didn't draw the right cards. I just didn't draw the right cards. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, right, I'm gonna, you're not living that one down. No, I'm not. And, and you know what, too, though, it, it, it's only because you didn't catch it, and it was beautiful. You don't have. We don't have moments like that anymore where someone just does no. something out like that and just doesn't realize it. So, <laughs> it's like let gold just trickle down that stream. I was like, oh, I saw it. It's great. The best thing is he didn't even realize what he said either. He's like, I can't even recall what I said. <laughs> I was just trying to get the story out as quickly as possible. I was like, all right, what words did I use that just... <laughs> ever want to know what you said exactly, you can check our uh, Twitter feed. <laughs> I feel a t-shirt coming on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'll be on the t-shirt. Knock them down before they even get their big monster out. <laughs> the bigger the monster, the harder they come. What? Wait. <laughs> Before we wrap this thing up, anybody got any guild decrees they want to throw out? None particularly. I'm sure I'll find one uh, eventually. <laughs> I I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm going to say I probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got something on my mind, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
Guild Decree, Guildmaster Rick Perry is taking on all big monsters. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to go there. I was trying to be nice. Like, I've already given you enough shit over it, but... <laughs> you, no, it's you fine. Just... I'll do it myself. It's fine. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> so good. All right, you want to throw a bow on this one, Baron? I mean, I got a blue one. Be like you won first prize. <laughs> Stick a blue bow on that big monster. <laughs> I, I guess I'll, I guess I'll start off the, the closing by saying, and you can't be reiterated enough. Please go out and support your local game stores. Yes, they need it. Um, whether they, like uh, you know Rob said, whether it looks like they do or not, they need it. And not only will they be getting something out of it, you will be getting something out of it too. You'll you'll get. Tons of interactions with going in there, playing games, spend some money, and it helps everybody. It helps it helps the gaming community at large. It'll help you. It'll help you know your, your local game store. Believe me, there's one close to you. You may have to drive a half hour, but let's face it, that's close. Past that, there's tons of games out there for you to play. Find your game. Uh, it doesn't have to be Magic. It doesn't have to be Pokemon. It doesn't have to be Yu-Gi-Oh. But those games are fun too. Find you a group that you can you can knit with, and you got the money, blow it, and go to some tournaments. Maybe win more money because you could, or you just want to have fun. You want to stay home playing Raw Deal, which is an out of print card game, and play Mankind and throw someone through three tables. Then do it. I have a Mankind game <laughs> I want to play. Um, but yeah. I mean, there's lots of people out there that you can meet. I mean, just look at the four of us. We're, it, we're all really different, and we all can come together by playing card games because we pretty much just did. Come together playing card games. I didn't want to wait to build the tree, but you think I was going to let it die like that? Come on! <laughs> What kind of card games are we playing? Like, <laughs> so, uh, thank you. We can't thank play, we can't both play them on here. <laughs> I'd like to thank both of the guild members for coming on to this episode. Uh, Bo, if people like what you had to say and they want to find you on the on the internet or possibly play you in, in Magic Arena, where can they find you? On Magic Arena, I'm at Shooter McGavin 3. <laughs> so, uh, big Happy Gilmore fan. So, uh, Shooter. <laughs> And uh, if you want to find me on on the Twitters, uh, you can find me under uh, Bo Edwards or at the Nature Boy. So there may be more Nature Boys out there, but uh, I am the only one named Bo Edwards. So, woo! <laughs> nice. Rob, how about you? If people like what they had to say, they want to find you somewhere on the internet or possibly play some card games online with you, where can they find you? My username for... YouTube, Twitter, and actually Dueling Book is Swagkage. So S-W-A-G-K-A-G-E. Go check me out if you feel like it. If not, no big deal. And uh, thanks for having me on. It's always Thanks for coming. Yeah, of course. I've got one more thing. So on Twitter, this goes out to Gavin Berhe or Mark Rosewater. If either one of you would please like my tweet. I've been tweeting them. Every time they talk about something, I'm, I say, bring back brown borders for artifacts. And neither one of them have acknowledged me yet. 
<laughs> so, so if you were listening to this, bring Ask the man my brown borders for my artifacts, damn it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Please email us at castersguild at gmail.com uh, with any questions or anything you'd like to hear us talk about on the cast. Or in this particular case, maybe where we can find you on Magic the Gathering Arena or Playbook or anywhere else that we might be able to play some card games with you. I believe I am Toad Sparks. That's T-O-A-D-S-P-A-R-X on Magic the Gathering Arena. I finally got it to download on my phone. I'm still in the tutorial, but I'll get there. And check us out on the socials, and uh, we will see you in the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.